Welcome to episode 176 of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down and interviewing my friend, Dr. Heather Hirsch. Dr. Hirsch is an expert in women's health in midlife and menopause. She is the founder of the Menopause and Midlife Clinic at Brigham and Women's Hospital and also served on the faculty at Harvard Medical School. She is now seeing patients in her private telemedicine practice. She also just wrote a book called Unlock Your Menopause Type, and we talk about her book today. We also talk about the new non-hormonal treatment option that has just become available for uh, hot flashes. Really exciting news in the menopause space. And we talk about bioidentical hormones. What does that phrase even mean? And why should you always look to choose FDA-approved hormone therapy. I was also really excited as I was reading Heather's book to kind of have a little glimpse at something that I'm dealing with in um, post-menopause here. I was menopausal a year and a quarter ago and things have kind of changed for me and something I'm experiencing. I really resonated in her book and just kind of felt like, ah, right, that's what's happening to me. That's my experience. So for those of you, no matter where you're at in menopause or in the menopause transition, there is something in this episode for you. Now, before we jump into the episode, I want to remind you that you can get your hands on my new free guide, Menopause Nutrition and Exercise Quick Start Guide. You can grab that right now here in the show notes. In that guide, I show you how to eat and how to exercise to support optimal health in midlife and empowered aging. You'll also learn the three key concepts you must understand to be successful at weight loss in midlife. On to the episode. Hi, Heather. Welcome to the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you. It's been such a long time. I know you've been on my show once or twice, and I'm not sure if I've been on yours. So this is, oh yeah, this is so fun. I'm delighted. Yeah, absolutely. So Heather and I, we met, I want to say it was a 2019 2018, 2019, we just ran into each other on Instagram. And then I was on her podcast. She was on my podcast. Uh, She ended up recording a module for my Fitter After 40 course. And I recorded a module on uh, menopause weight loss for her course. And we just kind of collabed here and there. Um, Heather is an amazing expert in the menopause space. And we're going to talk about all kinds of exciting things today. Yeah. Uh, The first one I want to talk about here, Heather, there was big news in the menopause space this last month. There is a newly approved um, FDA approved non-hormonal medication option, um, which is incredible. Before we kind of jump in and really start talking about that, what are some of the reasons that a woman might not want to, or be able to use menopause hormone therapy? Yeah, that's a great question when thinking about this medication, because one of the fears I have is that our clinicians who are still a little weary of HRT might prescribe this to Mm -hmm. all comers, which Anyways, we can talk about that, but there are some clear red flags for hormone therapy and that being active breast cancer or an active gynecologic cancer that has estrogen receptors or progesterone receptors that are positive. That's a a kind of red flag, a history of an unprovoked blood clot. So the kind where you get not from a long uh, plane ride, which is provoked because of uh, immobility or after a car accident, which is trauma, but the kind of blood clot you just get from sitting and watching TV. So an unprovoked blood clot or a clot in your lung, like a pulmonary embolism, those are usually contraindications to HRT. 
A history of a stroke, a history of a STEMI, a heart attack that's an ST elevation MI, it's a particular type of heart attack because not all heart attacks actually are the same. Those are some clear contraindications that, that women do have. There also, of course, may be some women who simply choose not to take HRT, which is also okay because we don't want to shame any women for doing one thing or the other. And this new medication, this non-hormonal medication really would be a great option because it's a new class all on its own. Tell us about that. It works by tampering down the signals in your hypothalamus that are begging for estrogen, actually. And these groups of cells get larger and larger and start to scream and scream and scream when estrogen declines, which it does at menopause naturally. Estrogen normally will bind to these receptors in the hypothalamus, and that really helps to keep the temperature of our bodies pretty stable. And we can regulate the temperature of our bodies pretty quickly, like a hot shower, getting out of the hot shower, not having a hot flash. But as the estrogen drops, uh, there's no longer that, that estrogen that's binding to those cells. So they start to scream louder and louder and louder. This new medication called, I pronounce it phezoliniant and its brand name will be Vioza works to bind to those receptors. It's not estrogen though. It binds nicely in there and says, we got you. And that helps to really keep the core body temperature a little bit more regulated, hence really blunting the severity or the frequency and number of hot flashes. Got it. Got it. And what is the method that a person uses this? Is it a pill? Is it a patch? What is this? Yeah. It's a once daily oral medication. So it's oral. Okay. Got it. And what are some of the pros and cons of this particular medication? So of course the pros are going to be that it's, it's non-hormonal, which is a pro for some people mm-hmm. and it's easy. It's just a once daily oral medication. It's not been shown to increase the risk of blood clots or cancers, which we could certainly argue, is that really there for HRT? But you know, the, the classic sort of, there are some risks with HRT are still there, right? So it really doesn't carry those same sort of scarier, if you want to call them risks. Uh, it works really fast. Data shows that by within one, but particularly two weeks, it can really start to work. So it can work really, fast. really fast. It doesn't carry a lot of side effects. Um, Probably the biggest side effect is just going to be not having the efficacy that, that a woman might want. So it just doesn't work as well as we're kind of hoping just doesn't stop the hot flashes. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably going to be the biggest risk. Now on the con side, if you think about all the other things that estrogen does, I'll actually explain them. It's not going to give you benefits like bone protection, which estrogen does, or cardiovascular protection, which we see in women who start estrogen within 10 years from their period. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not going to help with vaginal dryness. It's simply not going to help with with that, like estrogen could. And it's probably also not going to help with some of the other more interesting symptoms of menopause that estrogen can help with. A classic one I'm thinking of is joint aches and pains. Because we have estrogen receptors in our joints, oftentimes, but not always, if using HRT for my patients, I will see their joint aches and pains resolve. And if they don't, it's probably osteoarthritis or wear and tear or something else that's Mm non-hormonal. Sometimes vertigo, which is this like ringing in your ear, is also hormonally mediated. And when we use estrogen, that can go away. And sometimes also estrogen is really good for mood. Now, will Vioza help your mood? 
I don't know, maybe if you stop flashing so much might, right? (laughs) But estrogen, the con is really actually just that there are some added benefits from HRT that you just probably won't get with Vioza because it's really, really meant more for hot flashes. But just to wrap up the pros, it's also been shown to help with sleep. And that's probably because it's just reducing the nighttime hot flashes. Right, right. Okay. So that sounds like an awful lot of pros. And then, so as far as when people are weighing the pros and cons and should I, you know, take MHD or should I take, um, this new, um, I'm never going to say it right. Vesalinient, which one (laughs) should I take? What you're saying is if there's not a contraindication for you to take the hormone therapy, considering the fact that even though my understanding is, you know, doctors don't prescribe it for all of these other things. If you're having the hot flashes, it can help with all of these other things that the phesalinian is not necessarily going to be able to help with. Yeah. I think I'll probably kind of have the stance here that if you can take HRT, you don't have any contraindications. And if you choose, you know, that's on your list of, okay, I would take HRT. I think HRT is going to have a lot more benefits, especially in terms of your long-term health for sure. Whereas Vioza or the Fesalinian, you said it perfectly, by the way, (laughs) you know, (laughs) is a, I think is a great option for women who can't take HRT or really just don't want to, or choose not to, or there's always a category of women for whom they're not totally sure they want to take HRT, right? And Vioza could, could, could be a good first start. And, you know, if we say that didn't, really work or didn't improve your symptoms enough, then they've kind of also said, okay, I tried that. All right, let's go to the HRT. So it could also be a nice stepping stone. So Mm -hmm. it's got a lot of, I love having more options for women. We have plenty of women who can't take HRT. So it's just so wonderful, you know, particularly my breast cancer patients, my women undergoing chemotherapy, just to kind of, you know, offshoot here, these, this is the group of patients for whom my heart's just been going out to for years because we've really only had uh Brisdell, which is an SSRI. It's a low dose Paxil. And it's just not going to be likely as efficacious as Vioza will. So for those patients who are really uh, not able to take HRT, this could really be so important. Yeah. It's, it's a big step forward. That's because if I'm understanding, there aren't very many other options for non-hormonal uh, treatment of hot flashes, all the vasomotor symptoms and outside of menopause hormone, hormone therapy that work really, really well. You got it. You right. know, they're all in the, most of them are, so Brisdell's the one and only FDA approved and it's an SSRI to blunt hot flashes. And the rest of the medications uh, are off-label use to blunt hot flashes. And most of them are in the antidepressant class, which doesn't mean we think you're depressed. It's just that they can blunt hot flashes. And then medications like gabapentin, which is for neuropathy, or oxybutynin, which is for overactive bladder, or clonidine, which is for blood pressure. These have like side effects that like, it's just going to be so much better to have a targeted non-hormonal FDA-approved option that's not in the SSRI class. Yeah. I was just reading up on a bunch of those you mentioned just today. I saw that the North American menopause society released a position statement about Mm -hmm. hormone therapy uh, for the treatment of vasomotor symptoms. And they listed all of those things that you just said. It Mm -hmm. was also interesting. There was a really big section on about like lifestyle modifications, um, and other treatments. What are some of the things that you recommend to patients who are not 
or had not been in the past able to take any kind of medication or it wasn't working for them. It wasn't really kind of giving them, um, you know, relief. What are some of the lifestyle modifications that you have recommended? So what we know is that unfortunately in randomized controlled trials, some of the best ones are cognitive behavioral therapy, which CBT is what that stands for. It's really probably a better way to break this down isn't necessarily meaning going to a therapist and working through your hot flash trauma, but a little bit more biofeedback of like, uh, what triggers hot flashes? Oh, that red wine. Oh, I know it does. Or, oh, you know, spicy foods or, or et cetera. And really being able to recognize those triggers and really being able to walk through the benefits of avoiding them so that you can either sleep that night or not have, you know, symptoms and hot flashes. So cognitive behavioral therapy is great. Self-hypnosis is actually also really good. And there's a great app called the Evia app. And I recommend this in my book a couple of times. It's actually an app where you can do self-hypnosis because I've never in my decade of seeing patients said like, here's the person that does hypnosis, Kim. Like there's just no yeah. one that does that for yeah. hot flashes. So self-hypnosis sounds wild, but there are now some really good apps for that. Can you um, spell the name of that? You said Evia? Yeah. E-V-I-A. Okay. Yeah. As they have a great, great app. Um, uh, and you know, when it comes to things like, uh, diet and exercise, we know that for diet, a plant-based diet is going to be the most efficacious in reducing hot flashes. And that's probably because you're getting some phytoestrogens or some soy isoflavones in your food. So things like yams and hummus and chickpeas, um, those are all really great chemical structures that look like estrogen your brain thinks it's estrogen, but it's not. And we've kind of also debunked the idea that soy is going to increase your risk of breast cancer unless you, you know, consume insane amounts of soy, which is unimaginable. So plants, uh, plant-based diet can be really, really helpful, of course. And then exercise, there's certainly exercises that are going to stimulate the more parasympathetic nervous system, which is kind of things like yoga, Pilates, Tai Chi, walking. These can be really, really good to help um, just, just to learn how to turn on the kind of rest and digest nervous system in your body. Whereas like a HIIT workout or, or even a really high intensity workout where you're uh, even lifting really strenuously for some women that can trigger hot flashes too. So it's a lot of knowing your triggers, it's a lot of, um, you know, just kind of really being able to really take in the information that your body gives you. And I can say that, but I know that it's so much harder, right? I know that I shouldn't be scrolling TikTok at 11 a.m. but p.m., but I still want to. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's kind of that cognitive behavioral therapy part is like, why is it good for me to turn off the phone? Or, you know, that's my advice, right? Whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Um, okay. So still talking about hormone therapy, but kind of taking a different, um, kind of subject matter here. There's a lot of confusion about terminology when people say bioidentical hormone therapy, right? It seems mm -hmm. like often I hear people talking about that and it's not in my mind what it actually is. Um, what do you think people should be noting? Like there's kind of like bioidentical hormone therapy. And then there's kind of like what scammy people talk about bioidentical hormone therapy, right? Can you kind of talk yeah. about the differences there? I can. I really, you know, agree with Dr. Gunter on this one that bioidentical is a marketing term it, because it's actually not a, a pharmacological or 
chemistry word. It's actually just a word bioidentical is completely made up. It is a made up word to apply towards pharmaceuticals or chemical structures. It's not real. So, but bioidentical really means you can exchange bioidentical hormones for estradiol. Bioidentical, just replace the word estradiol in there. And so estradiol is a more plant-based estrogen. It has a chemical structure similar, but not exactly to the bodies. We just can't make it exactly the same. And bioidentical really can either be thought of again as estradiol that is compounded, non-FDA approved, or estradiol that is FDA approved. So when you think about the word bioidentical, if you're making a little visual here and you're looking towards the sky, turn the word bioidentical around like Vanna White and just say estradiol. All right. Once you know something's estradiol, it's either compounded and non-FDA approved, which you want to avoid, and we'll talk about why, or it is FDA approved. So there's FDA approved estradiol. There is compounded non-FDA approved estradiol. And now I'm going to go ahead, Kim, and answer my own question, which is why do you want the FDA approved kind? You want the FDA approved kind because it has been rigorously studied. Now, you know, every time I post about this, especially over on TikTok, I get so many comments like, who trusts the FDA? Why would you trust the FDA? What about the vaccine? And da, da, da. We know that the vaccine <laughs> was like a once in a lifetime necessary thing. But the thing that's most important to me about the FDA clearance is it has been studied long term for its safety. I know that it has been studied to show it reduces the risk of osteoporosis. It reduces the risk of cardiovascular disease. It increases your lifespan. And how do I know this? It's been studied for years and years and years. So I know it's been studied. And when it's FDA approved, I know that every time I, I prescribe you a medication estradiol in whatever form, oral patch gel, it's the exact same dose and that's regulated. And that's really freaking important when it comes to hormones because hormones are not these just like little docile things. Like they affect a lot of things in our body. You don't want to fuck around. Mm-hmm. Okay. So conversely, if it's compounded, it's, it's more costly, which, okay, some people that's fine. They have the finances and that's not the biggest deal. But again, if you're going to be on these for however long, maybe it's two years, maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 30 years, you know, that can add up. Number two, not studied, not studied in long-term studies not studied. We don't know. Does it really help reduce the risk of of osteoporosis? Does it really increase your life? We don't know because it's not been studied. Number three, you might always get a different dose every time you pick it up because it's made individually. That sounds like it's great, but it's not actually, because again, subtle changes in hormones can affect lots of different things or your other hormones, your thyroid, your insulin, your leptin, your adrenaline. Don't mess with that. And then The actually probably what I should lead with, which is the most important is the, uh, increased risk of uterine cancer on compounded bioidentical, right? Bio compounded estradiol. And why is that a lot of times the progesterone and the estrogen are put together in this same little deodorant stick and progesterone doesn't absorb well prometrium. I should say the specific formulation doesn't absorb well through the skin. And so if you're taking estradiol and you're not taking the right dose of progesterone, that can increase your risk for uterine cancer. 
Oftentimes, because I've been doing this for a decade, when people come to me on compounded estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, their doses are actually very low. They're super therapeutic. So they're also really not getting, like, they're also just kind of, it's just kind of, it, it, you know, I hate to say it's almost just like it's a, just an evil trick that was played on you. You're spending all this money. You think this thing is better and it's safer. It's not. There are less expensive options. It might be harmful to you. You don't know the benefits and you're probably not even getting the right amount of the estrogen that you actually need. Mm. So none of that sounds the, none of that sounds very good. So sticking with that FDA approved hormone therapy is really the way to go. It's really the way to go. And that's what NAMS recommends. That's the evidence-based guidelines on HRT. And, um, you know, we haven't even gotten into pellets, but, uh, but certainly that's just like compounded, but literally on steroids where you get injected with hormones that last for three months and the same things apply there, although they're even more dangerous. So, you know, really the menopause society in their position statements in all of our meetings, we are constantly shouting from the rooftops, please, you know, FDA approved HRT is the safest option, but the message got so muddled two decades ago, not yesterday, two decades ago. And that's why we're still really working so hard to bring awareness to the safety and efficacy of FDA approved bioidentical, remember that means estradiol, but estradiols or other estrogens and progesterones. You don't have to just do bioidentical FDA approved. There's conjugated equine estrogens like Premarin. And while certainly sometimes that gets a bad name, I would happily take Premarin. Um, And, uh, you know, there's lots of different options out there, but they're, they're all good. They're all FDA approved. They've all been studied for their safety and efficacy. I think that's the take home message that they've been studied. That's why, that's why it's a better option. Awesome. I'm glad you talked through that because there are, there's just so much on social media that I see people talking about these, um, in the compounded formula. Um, I, just, yeah, I don't even, I, I, I think I muted or unfollowed anything that was just going to drive me crazy or keep me up at night because I don't even know what's out there. And I, I'm so sort of, I've come become, I almost think I've become like, doesn't everyone know that FDA approved hormone therapy is safe? Like, doesn't everyone know that? Absolutely I'm pretty sure this not. I, I know, but you know, I've kind of like created this own little bubble where like, because yeah. all of the garbage was annoying, annoying me, I just kind of hit it and muted it all. And now I kind of forget that it's still out there. Yeah. A lot. It's loud. Uh, oh, I didn't I'm know. sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> But look, I do the same thing in the fitness industry. I decided at one point a while back to just like mute all fitness accounts. I don't really follow any other fitness accounts. Um, I just, if I want to like check in on my friends and see how their content and give them some support, I literally Google, like not Google, I, I yeah. go in and type in Search. their name because yeah. it was just too much stuff. And I was following yeah. too many fitness accounts. And so it's the same thing. I don't really do that in my industry either. So yeah. I, I get where you, what you're coming yeah. from. Well, Heather, let's talk about your book. You just wrote a book that's coming out next I'd week, June to. 6th, right? Yes. That's my husband's birthday. It's coming out on my husband's birthday. Uh, It's called Unlock Your Menopause Type, um, Personalized Treatments, The Last Word on Hormones and Remedies That Work. What inspired you to write this book? So, um, So this is a funny story. I actually really wanted to write a book. Why does no one give a shit about menopause? And my agent was like, yeah, that may, my, that might make a better like 
newspaper article. I don't know if you want to write a whole book about that. And I was like, no, I do. And she was like, nah. <laughs> so, you know, but anyways, that was kind of the first draft of like, you know, what, um, actually, um, oh gosh. Um, uh, there is a good book. There's now a couple good books actually on this. Um, but anyways, so, you know, she said, well, why do you want to write a book on menopause? And I said, well, I just look out at the landscape and I just, I don't love a lot of them. At, at one point, you know, people asked me, oh, what do you, what's the best menopause book to read? And I was like, eh. you know, menopause manifesto came out in like 2019, 2020, which is also Jen's book. And, and I like menopause manifesto. And that kind of came out as I was writing this book. Um, which they ended up still being really completely different. But if you take out that, you know, there are a lot of menopause books and I kind of found there was just like two categories, either like very boring textbook, like you could barely get through it. Super outdated, you know, from like 1996, which is fine. Or even 2002, like that's two decades, right? Or like raunchy, raunchy humor. Humor is fine, but like old raunchy humor, I just don't really like, I don't know. It's just not my, my personal favorite. And the other thing that I found was that there were not, there wasn't any inclusive books. All the books I saw were really about natural menopause and that's all and well, that's what the majority of women actually go through. But, and you you, define that term so people know what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Natural menopause is just the normal and natural cessation of ovarian function typically occurs in, you know, anywhere between ages 45 to 55. And the average in the United States is 51, 51 and a half, actually inching up closer to 52, believe it or not, we're slowly evolving (laughs) ever so slowly, not, not fast enough. And, um, you know, there's surgical menopause, there's menopause from chemo, from Lupron. What about infertility treatments? What about the depression that I see that's so prevalent instead of all the hot flashes? What about the women who don't have a hot flash? You know, they are just kind of like, oh, menopause never happened to me. Oh, yes, it did. <laughs> and so, you know, I had been training women for a decade. And I started to see these different phenotypes and that knowing your different type I could really actually give you this aha moment about your menopause, help you choose a treatment that really better targeted your symptoms, made you more confident about it and made you more likely to stick with it. And so that really became the impetus for this book. And it came to me on a plane ride. I was on a plane, don't know where I was going. And, um, I heard somewhere that you're smartest on a plane, something about the atmospheric pressure. So I always bring my journal and I just started furiously writing down these six types and I got off the plane and, um, there were my six types. Now it took two years to refine that, of course. And my writer, Stacey Kalino is incredible. Um, and that's, that was really where the book came from. See, literally yesterday, my best friend from childhood um, DM'd me because I was talking about, um, I did a a post about three things I I wish I could go back and tell my younger self. And one of them was to learn about menopause, learn about Uh perimenopause before you're smack dab in the middle of perimenopause, because Uh I'm definitely a woman who's really struggled in perimenopause. Um, I mean, I started when I was 43, I ended up in the emergency room with vertigo and like, I went yeah. to my ENT and nobody could tell me what was going on with me and nobody brought up menopause and yeah. I, perimenopause. And I had no, I had not ever really talked to anybody about that. Didn't, was not in my brain at all. And then over the course of many years, you know, I started having um, all kinds of random symptoms and I was very scared that I was like, just 
a doctor's appointment away from getting diagnosed with some kind of very mm. serious disease. Cause I had this whole host of symptoms that nobody could tell me what was wrong with me. And it took me years to find out that perimenopause was a thing and Hey, this is what's happening to me. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, gosh, four or five years later, then my hot flashes started and my night sweat started and they were really bad for me. And so I've definitely had that kind of experience. Well, my best friend reached out to me, my best childhood friend. And she's like, you know, I hear you talk about menopause and she's the same age as me. She's like, so far, I don't think I'm in it. And she's like, I'm, you know, I'm not getting my period as much anymore. I think I'm about to wrap things up. She's like, but I don't have a single symptom, like nothing. Um, and so, you know, I was like, well, that's wonderful, but it is important what you're saying. Even people like that need to still be aware that you're still in menopause and there are things to pay attention to. Um, yeah. and there are yeah. more diseases that we're, you know, more likely to get. Um, so what did you, the silent menopause, is that what you called it? The silent menopause? Exactly. Type? Yep. I called it the silent menopause. And I gave the example of this patient, uh, who was, I believe in her early sixties, went through menopause, just like your friend, oh, I didn't have a, a care in the world and was picking the turkey out of her uh, for Thanksgiving out of her oven. And she stood up and her spine fractured. Oh my goodness. And so um, she's now ended up okay. Went to the emergency room, found out she had a final spinal fracture and osteoporosis and osteoporosis. And, you know, my patients with silent menopause type, well, and actually, I don't have that many patients with silent menopause because they usually aren't coming to me, right? but I certainly have seen them throughout the course of being a clinician, you know, these, these whisper gooses who, you know, have no symptoms at all. But oftentimes if they feel so great, they've kind of forget that their body on the inside is still changing and things like losing bone mass, for example, you can't feel it. It doesn't hurt. You don't know what's happening. A lot of people confuse it with osteoarthritis. Osteoporosis is so different. It's actually just how strong your bones are. And so you can easily forget screenings. You can forget that uh, you are at higher risk for insulin resistance or cardiovascular disease once you go through menopause and you lose estrogen. So the silent menopause type, and interestingly, is kind of emerging as the um, like very interesting type. We talked about this on the Oprah panel. Even uh, Maria Shriver said, you know, jumped in talking about how the brain changes after menopause. And so it is really important to take stock of the fact that once your periods end and you're in menopause, even if you never had an outward symptom like a hot flash, your body has still really changed. And now you are, you know, uh, just to have a different set of risk factors or things to look out for and not to forget your screening test because you feel so good. Yeah. What particular screening test would be most important for them? So I'm going to go back to the bone density for sure. You know, there's so many doctors who say, oh, age 65, you don't have any risk factors. And I really want to encourage my patients. I really think a bone density one, two, three years after menopause is really a good idea. You lose the most bone right after menopause. So, you know, if you have pre-osteoporosis, which we call osteopenia, I think it's freaking important to know bone density, definitely on my list, but you should also have your routine screening. So colonoscopy, mammogram, cervical cancer screening, and you should have your blood pressure checked an A1C level checked for your insulin resistance or diabetes and just your cholesterol panel. Cause you're going to, a lot of women will say to me, you know, Dr. Hirsch, I went through menopause. Now my cholesterol is totally wackadoo and I haven't changed anything. Could it be menopause? And I say, aha, yes, it's so unfair, but yes, these hormones play a role in our, in our lipid profiles. 
things like that. Now, does it mean that, well, am I doomed? No, it's really meant more to say, you know, you, you can be proactive, watch your numbers, ask questions, think about these things, log and track and keep in tune with your body. That's really meant to be more of a proactive and just a gentle reminder that I want you to to live an incredible full and long life. And so just to keep yourself tuned, like we tune up our other things, like, yeah. you know, our cell phones, we tune them up every 24 hours. So I, uh, I'm one of the women who had high cholesterol as I entered menopause. So I had high cholesterol back in my thirties when I had obesity. And then when I lost all the weight, I had amazing cholesterol again. So I went off the statins and I haven't been on medication in I don't know, almost a decade at this point, um, a little over a decade. I haven't been on medication. And then I went to my, my cardiovascular doctor last year. I'm, I was having, I, I was having heart palpitations, which turned out to just be menopause. There wasn't anything uh, wrong, but uh-huh. be based on my family history. He's like, let's just do a full workup of things. And my cholesterol was not good. And I was like, you know, I'm, I eat really well and I yeah. exercise, like I do all the things. Um, so, you know, combined, I think family history and menopause is kind of what's happening here with me with the cholesterol. But, you know, if somebody had seen my diet, they'd be like, wait, you have high cholesterol, right? And so like, you know, you're really fit and, and you eat really well. So yeah, it's definitely important to get those things, to get those things looked at. I'm sure um, it's also a little triggering because you're like, wait, wait a second. I, I, I crawled my way out of this. I work so hard. I, I, you know, and, and it feels very frustrating. My patients yes. see this all the time. Right. And almost just like, no, I no. Um, but you're right. You know, menopause, family history, they are strong. And, and, um, you know, just, uh, you know, my, I I just kind of want to touch on that because it is, it's so frustrating for so many women. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, one of the important things I thought you talked about in the book is how to talk to your doctor about hormone therapy. I think it can be a really tricky conversation. Actually, even before we get to that, let's back up just a second. Um, you talked about the statistics about how, um, let me find this in your book. You talked about how they went and did a, a survey of medical residents I'm going to read yeah. this part from your book. Yeah. Uh, within the field of medicine, yeah. we have cardiac experts, kidney specialists, sleep doctors, and other experts. Why isn't there a menopause specialist? Women typically talk to their internists or OBGYNs who should be well-versed in the physical, cognitive, and psychological changes that accompany this life transition. When researchers recently surveyed medical residents and programs in internal medicine, family medicine, and gynecology, most revealed that they had only had one or two hours of education about menopause in their program, and 20% reported that they'd had no menopause education whatsoever. Biggest shocker, only 7% of those doctors in training said they felt adequately prepared to treat menopausal women. That's wild. Not stunning to me because of what I've heard from people in my own experience, but it should be shocking to us. Right. That should should be be shocking shocking that, that there's not, that the, the training isn't there. It it should be, it is so shocking. And for a couple of reasons, first, even if it's taught for one or two hours, the way it's taught is like this isolated thing. Like that's just when your periods end, but it really is more of a chronic health issue, right? Just like we were talking leading up to this, how does how does menopause affect your cholesterol and then your cardiovascular profile or metabolic syndrome? How does it affect osteoporosis? How does it affect? And then you could go into all these other things, right? Sleep, which could then reduce, you know, lifespan. How does it affect mood? How about relationships? How about work and productivity? It should be intertwined with how we think about chronic 
health and chronic or chronic or wellness. We could even call it wellness, right? Chronic health sounds like a disease state. And it doesn't have to be thought of that way, but it's so important. It really should be interwoven into women's chronic health. It, it, and it's just, it's really nothing short of a public health crisis. There's two universal truths for women, puberty and menopause. It's a universal truth. You cannot, just like Oprah said, but you don't, you can't pay for it to go away. You can't uh, work out your way out of it. You can't eat your way out of it. You can, you cannot do anything. And it is crazy that the statistics. Yeah. You can't fitness your way out of it, ladies. Cause I was the fittest I'd ever been in my life. And I had a terrible, me- I perimenopause really rocked yes. my world. And that's one of the myths I put in my book. If you're fit, menopause is going to be a breeze. And that I wish it was true. It yeah. sounds logical. My body's prepared. I was fit for pregnancy. Like I can deliver this baby. Well, yeah. right. That's a little bit more physical than menopause, which is a lot. And, and it's, it's not true. Exactly. And so there, um, it is, it's, it's, um, it's a shocking, sad statistic mm-hmm. and uh, me and, uh, you know, a, a lot now, I mean, now that we have social media, um, I, I launched this course. I was going to teach it at Harvard, but I since left Harvard, a CME course, which is now just sort of a, you know, self-pay if you want. And, uh, I put this out to, to my followers and my email list. And I had 40 people, 45 people sign up to learn nuts and bolts of HRT doctors. You're saying doctors. Yeah. Oh, and nurse practitioners and PAs and even one or two pharmacists, I believe. And so I'm hopeful. I mean, it still sucks. 45 is not nearly enough because here's the real truth, Kim. There's 30 to 50 million women in the transition at any one given time. And because this is a linear process, it's not ever going to like, you know, shrink. Right. And, you know, there's like right now, there's probably an estimated 500 doctors maybe who are good at menopause, but the math doesn't math. No, it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. And you know, that was, that's been my experience. The first doctor that I um, went to see my gynecologist, um, I had a new one and went to talk to her about my um, symptoms. And like I said, my symptoms were pretty dire. Like I hadn't slept in three months by the time I got to her because I was having so many hot flashes. There were dozens a night. I was really not well. And she said that I wasn't a candidate for um, hormone therapy because um, I was still having my period. And I was like, I'm 48 and I'm incredibly symptomatic. And I think I said, you know, and I luckily had come prepared and I'm like, you know, I've looked at the NAMS position statements on things. I'm like, I absolutely am. And I actually had an argument with her and (laughs) told her I wasn't leaving until she treated me appropriately. And she begrudgingly gave me my medication and I left crying. And like, I went out to the car sobbing, but I I got my medication. I'm thinking like, I shouldn't have had to fight that hard. Like that's, that's not appropriate. And I since switched doctors and the doctor I'm with now, and now I am um, a year. Um, so it's, I'm a year past my last period, right? So I had my full year, had my last period. Now I'm a little bit past that, a year past that. And when I went to see her to get my um, medication increased, um, which is one of the things I was telling you earlier, I said, found something in your book. I'm like, oh, that's me. I'm in this, I think you called it one plus one B. So I'm mm-hmm. in a stage and mm-hmm. that you can start having worse vasomotor symptoms. And that's what's happening. The HRT really cleared up my hot flashes. Like within a month of taking it, I was not up all night, every night. It's been, it was life-changing for me. But yeah. in the past like four or five months, 
I'm starting every night around bedtime to have hot flashes again. And when I wake up in the morning and if I had to live like this, I could, right? Like it's not like before, like I wasn't sleeping, but it's definitely impacting my sleep. And I was thinking like, well, I'm on this low dose. Let's just go get it moved up. And she did it. And she's like, all right. She's like, let's do this for a few months. She's like, and then I really want to talk about taking you off of this medication altogether. And I was like, why would we Wait do that? A second. <laughs> Wait a second. I'm telling you, it's getting worse. Why yeah. do we need to be talking anytime soon about taking, yeah. I had, I had not planned on coming off this medication for the next few yeah. years, at least until I kind of got through this. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I think even this doctor's not particularly well-informed. It seems like she really wants me off of it as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I know OBGYN just like as hormone therapy is like they're kryptonite. I don't know. Why. Yes. Like I'm going to explode here soon. Yes. I don't know why. I don't know why. Well, let's break this down. You know, I always tell my patients, if you're on HRT, it should work well, not like, okay. Right. And it is normal for you to have to tweak it every once in a while, especially now really transitioning completely out of perimenopause into early or the first stages of postmenopause. It's okay to tweak it. And again, if you read my book, you want your goal levels to be between 40 and 70. You could always check them, but the, the poor man's test is if you're flashing through your HRT, let's just increase the dose. A lot of women think, oh, if I, a lot of doctors incorrectly, I believe, think if I increase the dose, I'm just increasing the risk. That doesn't make any sense. And let me explain why. It has to do with the way you metabolize estrogen, if it's slower or faster, and if you're getting therapeutic levels. I would say my, my neighbor over there could be on dose A and it's low, and my neighbor over here could be on dose Z and it's high, low and high, but both of them have the same blood levels of let's say 50, and they both feel 80% better on it. So the number on the box or the number that you're, that you're taking much more correlates with does it control your symptoms adequately? And are you on a therapeutic level? There is this idea that if like you go up, your dad's just increasing your risk. It literally just doesn't make any sense. Now, of course, if you were on like quadruple your dose, which why would anyone be? They'd have sore breasts. They'd be bleeding. Nobody would do that. Sure. There's a level where you don't need to be, but when we're talking about moving it so that you're getting a therapeutic dose, the risk doesn't increase. It really doesn't, it doesn't make any sense if you're going by following a woman's estradiol levels and following her symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. So I just really want to clear that up. When you're on HRT, if you're like, well, it kind of works. Why are we on it? If it kind of yeah. works, let's make it work. So yeah. that is such a frustrating thing to me. I had a patient earlier also email me. My doctor doesn't want to increase my gel because she says it's going to increase my risk of breast cancer. It doesn't make logical sense. We're increasing it, or I had recommend increasing it because she's flashing through it. And yeah. th th these messages are so, they make me so mad. I mean, you can, if you're listening, you can't see me, but I'm flailing my arms around <laughs> it. I'm sure you can hear it actually in my voice. And on top of that also is the idea that there is no longer any time limit to the use of HRT. If you start within 10 years of menopause, that's been a NAMS position statement since 2015. That is eight years old at this point. That is clear, 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 clear. Now, it doesn't mean you have to stay on it forever. You could say in six years, okay, maybe I'm ready to wean down and see how I do. Or you might say, never take this from my cold dead hands. And I say, okay. you know, I, And so that's also outdated 
too. So outdated. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to hear because remember we talked about how I love this bubble where I think everyone knows all the evidence-based things and FDA approved HRTs. Um, and, and that's just because I'm so used to saying it and talking about it all the time, but I feel for you. Um, and, and, and it's hard that you have to almost take this mini course in HRT and menopause management to have to fight with your doctor for what is evidence-based. But something that Rachel Rubin said a while ago on one of my shows that has stuck with me is that these become emotional. They become emotional. Like just how I said, oh, it's like they're kryptonite. You know, my agent also messaged me earlier today and said the same thing. My gynecologist still said that my hematologist really doesn't want me on this. And, you know, she really wants me off it soon. And I'm like, this is an emotional, you'd think doctors are always logic. We look at the numbers and we look at the statistics and we follow the evidence-based guidelines, not when it comes to hormones. It's an emotional decision your doctors are making. They're not following the guidelines because the guidelines from the professional society, Kim, clearly says there's no time limit to the use of HRT. If you start within 10 years, if your mammograms up to date, if your screening's up to date, if you're still helping your quality of life, if you use shared decision-making, you can see I'm getting very, very frustrated and furious because <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah. And you gave a great script in your book for how to talk to your healthcare provider about um, starting hormones. And Kevin, just get hit the highlights of that for us real so fast. And then we're going to wrap up. Well, you know, I think what I, what I recommend, um, and, and it's hard and it's easy for me to say, but, you know, go, go prepared, you know, call the doctor and say, I want to have a, a problem visit. I know sometimes patients say to me, oh, well, if I was just so lucky to have another visit outside of my annual, but really, if you're going to try to talk to your doctor about HRT during your annual exam, it's just, it's, it's going to be, it's not going to go so well. So try, try to get a problem focused visit, just like you'd go for UTI or lower back pain or migraines, go in for a problem visit and say, look, Dr. So-and-so, these are the symptoms that I've been having clearly outline it for them. Make it easy. I'm pitching myself a lot for different people. And you just got to pitch yourself. You got to make it easy. I've been having these symptoms for this long. I've tried this already. I've tried this already. I want to try this whatever it may be, let's say in this case, right, it's HRT, because that's going to be your, your biggest one. I bought the NAMS position state me, statement with me. I'd really like to trial the FDA approved bioidentical <laughs> HRT. Um, and if you, you know, if your doctor really isn't willing to have a discussion with you, ask for a second opinion, but come prepared, you know, so that your doctor isn't stuck in the weeds, asking you all these questions or trying to dart around it. Just get right to the point by knowing all those facts about yourself. I love that. That's brilliant. Ladies, write that down. <laughs> write that down. Follow that process. Well, Heather, I always like to end by asking uh, the women that I'm interviewing how they are enjoying moving their bodies these days. So tell us, what do you do to move your body? Uh, I'm back into running and, and cardio. Um, and I did a lot of CrossFit and then, um, during the pandemic, a lot of my Peloton inside cause you know, pandemic -y times. And then I moved into so for a while. I did nothing. <laughs> oh, well, moving. You were moving. I was moved. I was literally moving. I was physically moving boxes up and down. I actually lost, I actually lost, I think either muscle or something, but, or I'm just going up and down all these stairs I didn't have before, but um, now that it's spring and summer and it's 80 degrees in upstate New York, and I've got rolling hills and some beautiful music to listen to, I'm just kind of happy doing my, you know, two, three mile run. And I just feel so great sweating out in the sun, wearing my yeah. sunscreen, uh, wearing your sunscreen. 
Well, I love that for you. I think that's great. I mean, if you're enjoying it, go for it. Go for Lots it. Lots of hills. I feel those legs afterwards. I'm like, ooh, in that tush. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you? Tell everybody where to find you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all that you advocate for and teach and do. I just really want to say, I think when we have these collective voices, it really helps to, for women to really, these, these, uh, these, um, ideas to sort of land, especially when it comes to what's the right type of treatment. I am at Heather Hirsch MD across all my social media platforms and my website's heatherhirschmd.com. I made it real easy. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thank you so much, Heather. This has been fantastic. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I hope you found it motivational, inspirational, educational, organizational. If you did find value in this episode today, it would mean a great deal to me if you would leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you are listening to this episode on. It really does help to get this podcast in front of other people. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you.